Thank you, George and, and Lauren. Just great to sing Hallelujah, Christ Arose. And that's what we're here to do today, just to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on Friday, I thought, I thought Lauren did a great job of looking at the resurrection. We saw the, the cross, sorry, the cross, the, res, the, the, uh, the crucifixion, not the resurrection. Today, we're looking at the resurrection. But we saw, the, as Lauren quoted from R.C. Sproul, the crux of Christianity, the central aspect of our faith is the cross. And we saw, and, and I just kind of want to take from what Lauren did and as kind of a bit of an introduction as we get into this text in Matthew 28, but we saw on Friday the three results that were accomplished in the cross, on the cross. We saw that the wrath of God was satisfied. God's wrath and anger against our sin was propitiated. God is now propitious towards us. He is satisfied because the penalty was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, we saw that the, the love of God was exemplified, right? The, the, the love of God was shown on the cross. And thirdly, the name of God was glorified. And of course, that's exactly what happened on the cross. This cross was the supreme demonstration of the love of God. God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave his son to perish so that we who trust in his son should not perish but have eternal life. And when we think about this, it could almost seem that God loved his son more than I'm saying that wrong right now. We, we could almost think that God loved the world more than he loved his son. Because after all, his innocent and righteous son was punished in order to save guilty and unrighteous sinners. God poured his wrath on his son because he loved us. But there was nothing about us that moved God to love us. There was nothing lovely in us. There, were, there was nothing good in us that God, that, that caused God to, to love us such. The reason that God loved us was simply from his own good pleasure. God chose to love us because he chose to love us, just simply because that was what he wanted to do. And when God loved us on the cross, it wasn't because we were great or even because we would one day be made great after he saved us. And so God certainly didn't love us more than his beloved son, who is, again, the exact imprint of his own nature, the radiance of his glory. God's love for his son is a perfect love. God the son is not only loved by God, but he is worthy of God's love. And he's worthy of God's love in every way. He is perfect, the exact image of the father. And what I'm trying to get at here is this, that everything that happened on the cross then also requires the resurrection. Everything that happened on the cross requires the resurrection. God did not have his son add to his divine nature, a, a human nature, so that he could die on the cross and remain dead. The whole purpose of the cross was that there would be a resurrection after the cross. The, 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 the Son of God died on the cross in order to be resurrected. God shows his love for us on the cross 
when his own dear son is tortured and crucified and cursed in our place, and Jesus endured in those three hours on the cross the infinite wrath of God. But it wasn't merely God's love for us on display on the cross. God was also in that moment loving his son, as strange as it is to think about it this way. You might wonder, well, how did God love his son when he made him drink the cup of his wrath on the cross? And the way that God loved his son in that cross is that we, the church, were a gift from the Father to the Son. The Father chose the church and he gave us to the Son as his bride. And especially in the book of John, Jesus speaks of us as those whom the Father has given me or all whom the Father has given me. We are these people that the Father has given to the Son. The church is a gift to his Son, a love gift, we could say, to the Son. And in order for us to be a gift to the Son, we needed salvation. In order for us to be any kind of a a decent gift for the Son, we needed to be saved. We needed to be changed. We needed to be made holy. Our sins needed to be forgiven. We needed to be made righteous so that we could be a pure and spotless gift from the Father to His Son. And so Jesus came and died in our place. He accomplished salvation for us. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. And so both the Father and the Son are working to purify a church, to make a a, a lovely church as a bride for Christ and as a gift for Christ. And by doing all of this for us, then Jesus becomes our great Savior. He is given by the Father, when he does this, he's given by the Father the name above all names. And so I I just have you just turn with me. You might want to just see this yourself. Go to Philippians chapter 2, and we we looked at this a little bit on Friday as well, but go to Philippians chapter 2. I just want to read verses 8 to 11. It says there, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see here that Jesus humbled himself by taking on humanity, and he humbled himself by dying on the cross, by being obedient to the point of death. But now God has highly exalted him so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so through the cross, God puts his glory on display and he puts the glory of his son on display. Through the cross, people from every tribe and language and nation will be redeemed to worship Jesus Christ. Through the cross, Jesus is exalted to the glory of God. His exaltation glorifies 
and honors God. And that was Lauren's third point on Friday, that through the cross, the name of God was glorified. On the cross, the Father put the glory of his Son on display. And when we look at the cross, we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave himself for us. What a glorious Savior we have. He's our Redeemer. He's paid our ransom. He delivered us from the wrath of God. And on the cross, too, we see the glory of the Father. We see his love shown in sending his Son We see his perfect justice in punishing sin. We see his righteous standard of perfect holiness. We see his sovereign plan come to fruition even through evil men who oppose him through the Romans and the the evil religious hypocritical Jews. And we see his mercy and his goodness, his grace and compassion for sinners. And so on the cross, the glory of the Father is on display. And then thirdly, because of the cross, we see the glory of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit predicted the cross and pointed to the cross in the Old Testament. He worked through men and worked in men so that they could write scripture, um, so that really he could write scripture through them. And the Spirit carried men along so that, that they wrote what he wanted them to write. And so we see the glory of the Spirit on display in Scripture, the Word of God, which points to the cross, which shows us the cross, and then tells us the significance of the cross. We have the Old Testament pointing forward to the cross, the Gospels describing Jesus' life and the crucifixion, and then the New Testament pointing backwards to the cross. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then again, the work of the Spirit is on display, the glory of the Spirit is on display in taking what Jesus accomplished on the cross and then applying it to sinners. The Spirit opens blind eyes to the glory of Christ. He softens hard hearts and gives us hearts of flesh. He takes us as enemies of God, hostile in mind and dead in sins, and he makes us alive with Christ, and he reconciles us to the Father, and we become adopted into the family of God. We receive the Spirit of adoption. But all of this only happens and works if there is a resurrection. Because if Jesus died on the cross but did not rise again, then the Father's gift to the Son is useless because the Son is dead. And he's not around to receive the gift that the Father planned for him. If Jesus died on the cross but did not rise, then he cannot have the name above all names because he no longer is. And then he's no longer the object of our worship and he could not bring glory to the Father. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no salvation for the Holy Spirit to apply because if Jesus died and didn't rise again, then salvation is worthless. There is no salvation in a dead Savior. And so the resurrection is the vindication of the cross. Without the resurrection, Jesus failed. But with the resurrection, we can see that Jesus succeeded. The resurrection shows us then that the wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. The the resurrection shows that God accepted Jesus' offering. The resurrected, the resurrection shows that Jesus was God in human flesh come to save his people from their sins. Paul even goes so far as to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
If there's no resurrection, Christianity is vain. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 18 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Because if Christ wasn't raised, then neither will we be raised. And so the resurrection shows us that all the good news of the cross is good news indeed. The resurrection shows us that although Jesus gave himself for the church, he is alive today as our husband, and he is with us always to the end of the age. We don't worship a man who died on a cross. We worship a God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son is the one who took on human nature and died as a man, but rose again by the power of God. And so the cross is the crux of the Christian life. It's the center, but without the resurrection, the cross would be meaningless. Without the resurrection, Jesus was a mere man murdered by the Romans, but with the resurrection, Jesus is everything that he and the writers of Scripture claimed that he was. And so this morning, I want to take us to kind of look at the resurrection as Matthew describes it in Matthew. 28, and I called this message just simply, He has risen. He has risen. And twice we're going to see in our passage those words, He has risen. And if He has risen, then our salvation is sure, our resurrection is guaranteed, and our inheritance can never be taken from us. If Jesus has risen, then we, the church, are a gift from the Father to his Son, and we are the means by which God will glorify himself, something that he will never fail to accomplish. And so God is going to glorify himself through the cross, through the church, because of the resurrection. And so look at Matthew 28. We're going to look at verses 1 to 10 this morning. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples, tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so what we're going to do in our text and how we're going to divide it here is we're going to see two miraculous proofs of the resurrection. Two miraculous proofs of the, resur- of the resurrection. First, we're going to see the appearance of the mighty angel in verses eighteen or f- verses one to seven, 
And then we're going to see the meeting with the resurrected Messiah in verses 8 to 10. So the appearance of the mighty angel first in verses 1 to 7. The appearance of the mighty angel. And I divided the text around the, the, the appearances of the angel and the appearance of Jesus himself. And both sections begin with the women on their way somewhere. And so on their way to the tomb, they meet an angel who testifies to them that the Lord has risen. And then on their way to tell the disciples what the angel told them, they meet the Lord himself. And in both cases, we see, we don't really see the resurrection, but we, we see that the Lord has already been resurrected. He died on, uh, on Friday, which we saw in chapter 27. But now on Sunday morning, on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we see that he is alive. And on Friday, as we read in our scripture reading this morning, the women saw him crucified, but now they will see that he has been raised. And so in 27 and verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And that's where Jesus died. Jesus died, not, not God, but the Jesus as a man died. Verse 51 says, and behold, the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And we see there that the way into the heavenly places, the, the, the way into God's presence is now open through the death of Jesus Christ. Salvation has been accomplished in between those two verses. Jesus yielded up his spirit. The temple was torn in two. There's this earthquakes. There's this, this little bit of a resurrection that, that Matthew talks about that ha- happens actually after Jesus was resurrected. And then in verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. And then in verse 55, it says, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And later that same day, look at verse 57. uh, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, Joseph, And Joseph asks for the body of Jesus, wraps it in linen, puts it in, verse 60, in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And then verse 61 tells us again, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And so both Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Both of these Marys and some of the other Gospels say that there's some other women there as well. But they saw Jesus die and they saw where his body was laid. And that was again on Friday afternoon. Now after the Sabbath, which is on Saturday, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, they went to see the tomb. And they weren't expecting to find Jesus alive. They were just going to the tomb. Mark 16, 1 tells us they were going to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And they were even wondering, who's going to move the stone for us? And it's likely that they didn't know about the guards and the, the sealing of the tomb that happened on Saturday, right? So they were there on Friday. Saturday, though, the tomb was sealed and the guards were put in place. And we read that in our scripture reading, Matthew 27, 62 to 64. Um, look at verse, just Matthew 27, 64. 
Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And so Pilate tells them in verse 65, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. And so likely the Marys didn't know about this, and so they went to the tomb. But they weren't expecting to find Jesus resurrected. Again, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And so Matthew tells us there was a great earthquake. And the reason for the earthquake is is because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And he came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And so this angel is quite a sight. He descended from heaven He came and he rolled this large stone, possibly causing a great earthquake. Mark Mark tells us that the stone was very large. And then he took a seat on the stone, most likely kind of still right beside the tomb. And so you can picture this angel just kind of chilling on the tomb, uh, on this big stone. And the guards are trembling there. His appearance is like whitening. His clothing is white as snow. And the angel is a, a physical but supernatural being. He, he sits on the stone. He, he rolls the stone. Again, a very large stone. And he has a seat on this stone. And he's a terrifying angel. He, he looks like lightning. Mark says he's a, uh, Mark describes him as a young man. And so he's, uh, just like what we see in the Old Testament, an angel kind of in the form of a, a man of some sort, but yet, the supernatural appearance of this angel shows he shines like lightning. And his appearance and his rolling of this stone is enough to frighten the guards. And it was their job to make sure that nobody removed that stone no matter what happened. And so they, the, the, the guards are supposed to stop this from happening, but this angel just comes and kind of does whatever he wants. Verse 4 says, And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and became like dead men. And it's literally there, the guards shook. And it's the same root of the word used for the earthquake. And so not only does this angel cause the ground to shake somehow, but also even the guards shake and tremble when they see this angel. And they became like dead men. Whereas the dead man in the tomb, as we're going to see in a moment, has already been resurrected and come out of the tomb. Jesus himself was no longer in the tomb at this moment. And so the angel rolled away the stone, not so much to let Jesus out. Jesus was already out. The angel moved the stone away so that the women could come and in peace go and see that Jesus wasn't there. And so verse 5 says, but the angel said to the women, so the guards are trembling, but the angel now speaks to the women, he says to them, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. 
And so the angel tells the women not to be afraid. He doesn't speak to the shaking guards as far as we know. And he knows that they're seeking Jesus. And he calls Jesus here, Jesus the crucified. It's literally Jesus the crucified. And so he testifies again that Jesus died. Jesus died. And later on, he actually says he rose from the dead. And so the angel testifies that Jesus died to be crucified again is to be killed. The the end of result of crucifixion is death, but Jesus is already gone. He has risen. And we aren't told really by the scripture writers how he rose from the dead. He just simply that he was raised. He was resurrected. We aren't told how he got out of the sealed tomb without rolling the stone away, but he, he was already gone. And so the angel came again to let the women in, not to let Jesus out. And the angel says, Jesus is not here for he has risen. And then he adds, as he said. Now we kind of look back and we know this, but Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection many times before it happened. And he has done so many times throughout Matthew's gospel. And I just wanted to kind of take you back and just show you some of these times that Jesus said that he would be resurrected. And so let's start with Matthew 12, 39. So the angel says he has risen as he said, but somehow the disciples just never understood that Jesus would rise. Even though he told them multiple times, they just never seemed to understand that part or believe it. Matthew 12, 39, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so there Jesus is predicting that he is going to die and spend three days and three nights. And of course, if it's only three days and three nights, there's a implied resurrection there. These kind of get clearer and clearer as we go. Look at Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 16, 21 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed And on the third day, be raised. And then if you go over to Matthew 17 and verse 9, it says, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision. Remember, this was the transfiguration here in Matthew 17. Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Matthew 17, and then a little bit later in verse 22 again, it says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And then again, Matthew 20 and verse 17. And we'll read to verse 19 here. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified 
and he will be raised on the third day. And then one more time, Jesus told them in Matthew 26, verse 31. Matthew 26, 31 and 32, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so again, the angel reminded the women, and and through them he's going to remind the disciples of what no one seemed to remember or believe that Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead. And then the angel, if, if we're back in Matthew 28 here, Matthew 28, verse 6, again, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. The Legacy Standard Bible, excuse me, translates uh, the last part of verse 6 this way. It says, come, see the place where he was lying. And so the idea is Jesus was, was lying there, but he's no longer there. And so the angel has them come and, and see inside the tomb, which he has now rolled the stone away so they can come in and they come and see that Jesus is no longer where they left him on Friday evening. And then the angel gives the women a little mission to go tell his disciples the news of the resurrection, a special commission to inform the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so in verse 7, he says, then go. So come and see and then go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, his disciples had all fled and forsaken him during the crucifixion. And so the the angel, when he calls them his disciples, this would be, I think, a great encouragement for them. They would have been feeling guilty. And so now there's this, this, this message from the women that's going to come. He has risen from the dead. And, and, and I could just see them saying, what did the angel say? Did he, he called us his disciples. Okay. We're his disciples. That's right. And he's risen from the dead. We're going to go and we're going to see him in Galilee. And so I think that'd be a great encouragement for the angel to call these men who had forsaken him and fled his disciples. And the Marys were going to go proclaim to the disciples that Jesus again had risen from the dead. And so that was the first proof of the resurrection, the the appearance of the mighty angel. And then the second proof of the resurrection in verses 8 to 10, I called it the meeting with the resurrected Messiah. The the meeting with the, the resurrected Messiah. On their way to tell the disciples the good news, Jesus himself appears to the women in verse, uh, verses 8 to 10. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so the women ran with fear and great joy. Fear likely just from the the supernatural aspect of meeting this angel and, and, and knowing that Jesus himself had risen from the dead. They spoke with an angel whose appearance was like lightning and who told them that Jesus, the crucified, was risen. 
And they saw the place where he was laying and he was gone. And so they were, they were afraid. But also they had great joy mixed with their fear. And, and they, be, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they, they're going to see him again in Galilee. And so in, the, in, in this belief of the resurrection, the women had great joy. And that really should be our response as well when we think about the resurrection. It should cause us great joy to know that Jesus our Savior has risen from the dead. The resurrection again confirms all of Jesus' promises and that he is our Savior and our God. And so with fear and great joy, they run to tell the disciples. They, they, they obey the angel and they're going to bring the good news to the disciples. But on the way, Jesus himself meets them and he says to them, Greetings. And this is the normal Greek word. It, it's kind of like the way that, that we would say hello. And so Jesus shows up and says, hello. And, uh, you know, what a, what a great little hello that would be from the Lord. It, it, the root of that word means rejoice. But even here, it could just mean something like, like good morning, welcome. Again, simply hello. And so Jesus says, Good morning, hello to the ladies, and they recognize him in his resurrected form. But Matthew doesn't say really anything about how Jesus looks. He just tells us that it was Jesus who met them, and then he tells us that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And that word worship is a significant word in the book of Matthew. It, it, It means to well, it, it means to worship on the one hand, or, or it could, it, it could, it could kind of have this range of meaning from, from just prostrating oneself before another person in a, in a gesture of submission or dependence, kind of like a low bowing to a person, maybe a, a, a king or somebody in authority. But at times it, it just simply means to, to greet an authority figure kind of in a respectful way. But it's an important word in Matthew, and, and in, in the book of Matthew, it does mean worship, and it implies worship. And just to kind of show you this, maybe, maybe you want to turn back to Matthew 2 and verse 2. We see this word used there of the Magi. Remember, they came from the east to meet the, the newly born Jesus, maybe not a baby here, but a, a young Jesus. And in verse 2, they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so they're going to worship this young child. The, the idea here is definitely not this idea of prostrating oneself before somebody who has authority, because Jesus is born in a humble kind of circumstances, and he's just a young child. He really has no authority at this point, and they have come Not to just prostrate themselves, but to worship this newborn Jesus, the Messiah. And then in verse 11, when they actually meet Jesus, they fall before him, it says, and they worship him. And that sense of the falling before tells us it's not just bowing low that that Matthew means when he uses that word worship. They actually bow already and now they worship him. But especially important here, I think, is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9, where this word is used in the mouth of Satan in Jesus' temptation. And in the temptation 
of Jesus by Satan, Satan asks Jesus to worship him in verse 9. And so he said, that is, Satan said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But then in verse 10, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus, or Satan uses that word in verse 9, and then Jesus uses that word again and says, you shall only worship the Lord your God and serve him. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship, again, same word there, the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus knows that only God is to be worshipped, and yet, as God, he accepts worship from these women because he is God worthy of our worship. The Lord, or we're going to see this word used again in Matthew 28, verses 17, where we see this meeting in Galilee that Jesus and the angel have both talked about. And so in verse Matthew 28, 16, now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so again, we see that word there, they worshipped him. And so at the beginning and at the end of Matthew, Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. And notice too, as we, we go back to our text, they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And so we see here that Jesus isn't a ghost. Jesus isn't a vision. He's a resurrected man with a physical body. The same body, again, that was that died is now risen, and there he is. And so in verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And once again, the women are told to tell the other disciples to go to Galilee, where they will see Jesus, and Jesus calls them there, my brothers. You see, as disciples of Jesus Christ... Through the salvation that we have in him, we become adopted into God's family. And so we who have trusted Christ have become children of God, and we've become co-heirs with Christ. We're going to share the inheritance of the universe with Jesus Christ as co-heirs of his, and we are his brothers and sisters. We are children of God and the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the second miraculous proof of the resurrection. The women met the risen Lord. And that good news that these women heard and that eventually the disciples will hear from the women and then they will see Jesus themselves in Galilee. This good news of the resurrection is for you and for me. Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he has risen from the dead. He has triumphed over his enemies and he has conquered death. He is alive today and he's seated at the right hand of God and at the proper time he will return and it is then that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus has won the victory and he will return to bring the victory that he won to completion. 
He will return to judge the world and restore it to righteousness. And so the resurrection then shows us many things. It shows us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the promised prophet, priest, and king that the Old Testament pointed forward to. It shows us that as prophet that we can trust the word of God because Jesus Christ was resurrected and he promised and confirmed the word for us. And so we can know through the resurrection of Jesus that the word of God is secure and sound and that we can trust it. Also, we can know that Jesus has fulfilled the, his great high priestly role as our as our great high priest, Jesus made an offering for our sins. He made atonement for us. And the resurrection proves again that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God for our justification and for our righteousness. And so when God looks at the believer in Christ, he sees us as righteous. And we can know this because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even beyond that, as our great high priest Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. And so Jesus, as our high priest, has not only given and made a perfect offering and sacrifice, but he is also alive today and prays and intercedes for us. And so we can know through him that our salvation is secure. And finally, as our king, we know that because of the resurrection that Jesus is going to return that he's going to establish his eternal kingdom, that he's going to um, make right everything that went wrong in the world through the fall of man. He's going to conquer his enemies. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. And he's going to restore the earth to what God had originally designed, that we would worship God through Jesus Christ forever and ever. And so the resurrection shows us many things. And for those of you who are here and are Christians, the resurrection is what makes our salvation secure. And if you're here today and you've seen all these things about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and you haven't trusted in Christ, I would ask you today to turn away from your sins and believe on this Jesus Christ. Jesus can forgive all of your sins. He can wash you clean and make you right with God. He is the only way that we can be restored into fellowship with God. There is no other way. There's nothing else that we can do. There's nothing that we can do to make us right before God. Only by trusting in Christ can we be saved. And so if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, I would call you and urge you to repent. Because one day soon, Jesus is going to come again. And then it will be too late And you will bow the knee like he says, every knee will bow, but you will bow the knee and end up in eternal destruction in hell. And so why would you have that when you could be saved today by simply trusting in Jesus Christ, turning away from your sin, and like the women, and like Jesus calls us to live the rest of your life to worship him and honor him, the one who rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for the good news that you have given us. And we celebrate it, Lord. I I, I wish I could celebrate it in greater ways, but we rejoice that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that everything that, that happened in Adam's fall is now undone, that it is finished. And Father, we look forward to the full completion of everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross when he returns again. We pray that you would hasten that day 
and help us to be faithful to that mission that you have given us to make disciples of all nations. Until then, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.